0: We are in part eight of an eight part series wrapping the entire thing up right now. Now if you are just visiting us, I'm gonna try to keep you in the loop, right? Just keep talking about where we're at, setting the context, you won't get lost too far, all right? But I got a lot of stuff I wanna kinda draw your attention to before we get into that fill in the blank. Now once again, this series, part eight, discovering practical Christianity. Walking through the book of James, line by line, and I want to share a, a couple stories. So on Thursday and Friday of this this last week, a couple days ago, I was involved in a conference called the Altitude Conference, and it was at a Slavic church, predominantly Ukrainian, called Spring of Life. Now, we are partnered together with with three different churches in the area pretty considerably, and that's Spring of Life and House of Bread and Genesis, right? So there's a lot of unity when it comes to uh, anyone coming from a Slavic background, right, that we consider y'all family, right, to us. Now, I come into that conference and I'm sitting on a panel with four other pastors that flew over here from Ukraine just for the conference and they're flying back. That's where they live and minister right now. Now, Pastor Alex, one of them, super neat guy, super intelligent, we were being asked because the theme of the conference was storms of life. Stuff that just knocks you over, stuff that's just really hard to walk through. Pastor Alex was asked about a storm in his life. Well, you can imagine if we're gonna talk about storms and we're talking in a Ukrainian church, it's kinda almost impossible to not mention the war, right? I mean, this is the storm that has just captured millions and millions of people. As a matter of fact, it's spread out into the world. Like, everybody's involved in this. So I'm listening to Pastor Alex and he said, he said, you know, my storm was really that when the war first started, I was so concerned about my wife and my children. He said the rockets were dropping, And he said, you see, we live right next to a military installation. We know we're targets. And I never knew when a rocket was going to hit my apartment. And so I was talking to the Lord, and I was saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And I knew I felt like there's no way I'm leaving. I'm staying here. But Lord, I can't even focus with my children and my wife in danger." So he contacted his wife and talked about it, and she said, I feel like we're led to stay as well. He said, I started wrestling with God, and I was trying to figure out a way I could force my wife and children to leave. I knew they'd be mad at me, but at least they'd be alive. He said, as I began to wrestle through that storm, God, little by little, allowed me to trust him more and trust him more And he said, and I ultimately got to a place where I said, I don't know where the rockets are gonna land. I don't know if I'm going to be able to come home to my family. I don't know if it's gonna hit me or them. But what I know is I'm called to be here. What I know is that my God is able. And what I know is that I have to trust him. And that was it. Remember, it's still going on. And I was like, wow, this feels so like biblical. Biblical. Like somebody would be like, listen, I am facing imminent death, but God has called me to stand strong. And I'm like, man, it's just blowing my mind, right? I don't think that Pastor Alex or any of the other pastors or many of you are the only ones that have faced imminent death for the sake of Christ. As a matter of fact, we're not the first, we're not gonna be the last. 2,600 years ago, in what we now know as modern day Iraq, in a ancient city called Babylon, there was a megalomaniac king. His name's Nebuchadnezzar, you might have heard of this guy, he's kind of famous. So he ends up making this statue in honor of him, and he's like, listen everybody, here's how it's gonna go down. I got this statue, and I want everyone that's in my cabinet, on my staff, I want everyone, y'all are going to, we're gonna play some music, and at one time we're gonna bow down, y'all are gonna worship, ultimately me. And he's like, This just make sure that we're all on the same page, I don't need to have you guys coming against me, I need to make sure that we're all okay. Well, the problem was there was these three Hebrew kids and they're like teenagers, right? And we know their names, right? You know this story, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, all right. So these kids are like, yeah, about that, no. And he was like, I'm sorry, what did you say? They're like, yeah, we, don't, we only have one God that we bow down to and, and you're not it, okay? He's like, I don't think you understand what I'm talking about. Okay, here's the deal, I'm a God, like I'm a huge deal, and you are nobody, and you're gonna stand up against me and tell me what you are and are not going to do. Who do you think you are? You know what, as a matter of fact, I kill people for less. If you do not do this, listen, I have a prepared furnace that I will burn you alive in. And then they had an interesting conversation with him. They said something that I will never forget. I mean, I learned this story as a kid. And I remember reading this passage, and, I, and I've held on to it kind of like, almost like a life verse for the rest of my life. Here's... What they said, I'm reading out of Daniel 3.16. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, meaning if you throw us in and kill us, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image that you've set up. That's it. Okay, two power statements. I think, hopefully you heard them. First one, our God is able. That's radical. You guys got that kind of faith? My God is a God of miracles. There's nothing that you can bring against me. My God is bigger than my challenges. My God is bigger than my failures. My God is bigger than your threats. My God is bigger than anything that you can throw at us. So let me just tell you something. You think you're in charge here, you're not in charge. I know my God, I know what he's capable of. Nothing is impossible with him. So let me tell you, and I'll look you dead in the eye and I will tell you this, my God is able. Wow, that's radical, right? I don't know what you guys did at 14. I don't know if you stood up in front of the government and said that, under penalty of death, right? These kids are pretty intense, right? But the second thing was really the life verse that I kind of hung on to. And it's only two words. What was the next power statement? If not. See, here's the thing. God hadn't come to them in advance. and was like, yeah, the whole fire thing, it's gonna be good, you're good. He didn't say any of that. As a matter of fact, here's what they know. They know that there's a whole history of martyrs. What they know is that a bunch of people's story was they were going to glorify God because they were going to stand up to a king and a government and be murdered for it. As a matter of fact, why wouldn't that be the case for them? Like is it, what if their story is and then three Hebrew boys died for the sake of Yahweh and the king's heart was changed? How do you know that's not your story? They have no guarantee it's anywhere else. So what they said was, king, first of all, our God can do it, but if he doesn't, and I have no guarantee what he'll do. If he does not, let me tell you, I do not know the will of God, but I know what I will and will not do. And I'm telling you right now, I will not bow to you. I will not bow to your gods. That is non-negotiable. We're done. Man, yeah, pretty heavy, yeah? So he, he gets so enraged, he makes the fire like seven times hotter. Now, first of all, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) <laughs> this fire is not hot enough. Okay, what, what are you talking about? It's gonna burn someone alive. Hotter fire doesn't burn them better. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So the, anyway, clearly he hadn't thought this through. So he's like, he's like, and I have a furnace, which is just weird anyway, that he has like some big furnace thing. And then he has people whose job is to throw people in there. What a terrible job. Like afterwards, how was your day? I threw about thir- 13 kids. 13 kids in there. You're like, what? <laughs> That's horrible. It's so hot, it kills the throw in guys. That's insane. So they throw them in there, right? And by the way, if you bind them with rope and you throw them into a fire, it's not very effective. Anyway, like I said, he's not thinking this through. So he throws them in there, and then this is crazy. They're, they're in the fire, the king can see them, and this miracle happens. Verse 24 then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they were like, yeah, totally we did. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Whoa, what? Who is in the fire? Who's in the fire? Anyone? Jesus. Side note. Once one is thrown into the fire and one does not burn up, what does one do? <laughs> right? <whistles> not sure what we do here. You know what I would do? I watch a lot of movies. You know what I would do? I would come out of the fire like this. Right? <laughs> I'd pretend like it's coming off my hands, you know? I'd look all dramatic. Okay. They didn't do that. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. God never leaves his kids alone in trials. God never leaves his kids alone in trials. And you say, hey, hold up, hold up, pastor. I'm not sure about that. I've been through trials. Pastor, I've been through abuse in a way that you couldn't even imagine. I didn't see a a fourth man there. I didn't see a Jesus with me. So I'm not sure this is true. Hold on. You guys know the worship song that we sing that says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop, right? We know this song. Here's the deal. Jesus said to his children, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means he is always with you. You're like, but I can't feel him. Do not allow your limited ability in the flesh to discern the truth. The truth is God's with you, period. You don't need to see him to know that he's there. He already told you he was gonna be there. You're like, yeah, but if you were here, this never would have happened. Stop, they pulled that with him on Lazarus. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. He said, I'm the one that allowed it to occur. Well, that's horrible. Then you're a monster. And he's like, no, I can't explain it to you. You wouldn't understand. You guys, I mean, think every Christian has to wrestle with the idea of if there's a loving God, why is there so much suffering? Yeah, I mean, that's a fair, legitimate question. Everybody has to ask that. Everybody's gotta work through that. I remember as a uh, younger in my ministry, I was really trying to find out a lot of helpful answers to give to other people and examples and illustrations. Came across a book by uh, James Dobson, which should tell you how old it was, right? And it was called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And in there, he was telling a story about, he had to take his son in to get something worked on in his inner ear and his son was very, very young. And so he had to go into the doctor and the doctor said, all right, what I'm gonna do is really gonna hurt but we need to get this out if we're going to allow it not to get infected. And he said, I need you to hold your son down. Now, he's like trying to hold him down and hey, buddy, it's gonna be okay and all that stuff. Well, when the sun moves, it's going to da- endanger the tool that he's using in there. It could ruin his ears. The doctor yelled at him, hold him down. He said, I took all six, two of my frame and I laid On my son holding his head still while the doctor dug into his ear he said my son is screaming dad why are you doing this he said I looked over and the wall was a mirror and my son was looking right in my eyes all he could see was I was holding him down while someone else harmed him He said, in that moment, there was nothing I was gonna say that would be sufficient to explain to this child why I would do something like that. Guys, I know that what you have walked through, even if God tried to tell you, you would not deem it sufficient reason for why you went through what you went through. I know that. But this is where God says, hey, kiddo, I need you to trust me. Because when you see it through my eyes, when you see what I see, you will not only agree with it, you'll celebrate it. But for right now, you got to hang in there. I know it looks like I'm terrorizing you. I know it looks like I've tortured you. I know it looks like I don't care about you. But I went to the cross for you. What more could I possibly do to prove my love for you? I took on your sin. I died in the worst way. I fell apart in the garden of Gethsemane because the weight was too great for me. What do you want me to do? I've given you everything I have. How can you say I don't love you? Of course I love you. And I know it doesn't make sense. So I need you to trust me. God never leaves his kids alone in trials, yeah? But here's what's interesting about it. So James is wrapping up this book. And when he gets to the end, he kind of goes through a list. And if you just take it out of context and you read it like in a devotional or whatever, it seems super random, but it's not random at all. This letter was supposed to be read all at one time. And so he would start out and make a bunch of points. And at the end, he recaps the points. And then adds a couple thoughts. It's super easy. So everything we're gonna talk about, he's already addressed it once before, right? So we're gonna kind of walk through it. And one of the biggest things he wanted to talk to the church about was, man, life is hard, huh? Like he talked about right at the beginning. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because, and then he explains, God is working in it. He's transforming you in it right? So he's like, listen, bad stuff is going on. It's really, really hard, but the Lord is so brilliant that he's doing things in the midst of it. So I need you to be patient and let God be God, right? I don't think patience is our thing. Have you noticed that? Like just humanity in general. Like we've never been patient. We are not patient. I believe we are born impatient. Right? Now, once again, some of y'all know child development way better than I do, but I'm just just as an observer in being a dad myself. Here's the things that trip me out about kids, right? Like little babies, right? They're like, oh my life is awesome. I need milk. And you're like, what just happened there? Like did you like a demon? Just like what happened? And they're just like, oh, I hate life. I, and then they drink milk, they're like, we're all good. Right? And you're like, wow, that was really extreme. <laughs> right? And then, and then you, when you have a little kid, you're like, you're like, hey, what do you got there, buddy? He's like, I got my teddy bear. And he's like, hey, can I see it? What's his name? Well, his name's Teddy Bear. And so you, you take the teddy bear and the whole time he's looking and going, give it back, 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 give it back. Right, because he's like, you've had it too long. you had it too long. It, like there's no patience, right? And if another kid takes their toy, goodness, Lord, watch out. Right, like you do not, okay, we're not good at patience, but in the last hundred years, we've made ourselves monsters. Let me give you an example. So, we developed a light bulb, right, and I I had nothing to do with it in case you're wondering. When I say we, I meant them. We developed a light bulb, and all of a sudden, we now have control over our atmosphere. And what that does to a consumer is they can say, hey, I handed my shoes off the other day. Are you done with them? They're like, what do you mean am I done with them? You handed them off, like, at the end of yesterday, and then I just got into the office. Yeah, but you have lights now. You can work all night long. Like, why are you not working on my stuff? You should have it done faster. Faster. There's no reason anymore. You don't have to worry about the light outside. You don't have to worry about candles. We're talking about it. There's a light bulb, man. You should be working all the time, right? Isn't that what happened? This industrial revolution, we start becoming workaholics, right? We had all this problem. Then we come up with a telephone. A telephone, like the little thingy where you have to, you have that little thing to your ear, right? And you're like, ring, 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 and you're talking into the thing. And everyone's like, I know what a telephone is. Thank you. Here's, we used to be able to go, man, I can't wait to talk to Betty tomorrow. Nope, not anymore. I have to talk to Betty now, right? And we instantly have these connections where you need to be accessible to me at all times. I don't wanna wait to communicate with you. I just wanna communicate with you now. Then we come up with this thing called a car. Y'all remember this car? We used to say phrases like this, on the third morrow, I will go and get butter, right? Right? I don't know why we sound like that, but that's what we do. And then all of a sudden we're like, I must have butter now. And we can get in our car and drive to the general store that's kind of far away, right? You used to have to plan this trip and nope, you just drive there. And so whatever you need, you have accessibility to it right away. Then we come up with microwaves and fast food. Are you kidding me? Microwaves and fast food, every meal, Full meal should be deliverable in three minutes or less, right? I mean, think about, you know you and I are messed up when we are antsy at a red light. Do you guys realize there is no red light in America longer than two minutes? And it's usually 30 seconds, and you're like, meh, 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 meh. You're like, what is wrong with you, right? Oh, my gosh, this light is forever, okay? And here's the thing. We'll drive into, like, Taco Bell, right? We know what we're going to get. We, we drive in there, and they go... Uh, we'll be with you in a moment. you're like, oh. (laughs) What is wrong with you, right? And we come up and they're like, all right, we're just putting it together now. And you're like, really? Okay, would you not be sketched out if you drove up and they were like, here you go. You're like, I didn't even order it yet, right? Because they're like, we've been waiting for you. You're like, that's weird. You didn't even make the food. Like, I think it's just like a space burger or something. Like how did you get that to Okay, then all of a sudden we come up with this idea of the internet, right? The internet, billions and billions of bits of information all at your fingertips. That's craziness, right? Uh, Now I'm gonna talk to mostly men over 40, all right? Uh, Some of you ladies will appreciate this as well. Gentlemen, do you remember the era in which we used to argue about sports statistics? Raise your hand. Anybody remember that? We would argue about, okay, so here's what it goes. Uh, hey, man, you like Walter Payton? Yeah, dude. Okay, so uh, you remember that one time that he had uh, over 1,000 yards? I think, it was, uh, I-, I think it was against a couple of these different teams. And the other guy's like, uh, no, that wasn't Walter Payton. That was somebody else. No, totally Walter Payton. Well, first of all, Walter Payton had different, okay, this is how dudes used to argue, right? Because what the problem was, everyone knew to find the real answer, you had to find an almanac, Like, what the heck is that, right? You're like trying to go figure it out. Then you would find out and go, hey, I looked it up. It says right here on page 32, you're an idiot. (laughs) Okay, nobody does any of that anymore. Hey, dude, uh, you remember when Walter Payton had uh, 1,024 yards? No, he didn't, yeah, he did, no, he didn't. Look up the phone, you're an idiot. (laughs) Instantaneous idiot comments, you understand what I mean? Like, everything is immediate Answers. I mean, even in our television shows, right? It doesn't matter how complicated the crime is. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, right? House will figure it out. And then everything in your life concludes in 23 minutes. And you're like, God, you are slow, right? God, I just went on WebMD, and I just found out that you could heal me, and it's relatively easy. <laughs> if you just go on YouTube, you can find out. I'll actually, as I, I'll pray you through it right? Like, we're like, Lord, there's such an easy answer for this. Then all of a sudden, we get to social media, right? Social media, story after story, recapping how someone went from rags to riches, what? Overnight. You've been working your tail off for like 40 years. You're still not in the riches category, right? They went from pain to healing. They went from ugly duckling to glow up, Man, I'm still waiting for the glow up. You're like 75. You understand what I'm talking about? They went from confusion to clarity and our realistic expectations got blown out and now we're totally unrealistic. God, I don't understand. I'm asking you for wisdom. All you gotta do is Google it, right? And he's like, hold on, hold on. What did you just say? Well, I said you could just look it up on the internet. That's what I've been doing. Do you not have internet? (laughs) Right? And he's like, hey, hold on one second. Gabriel, get me my glasses. Come here. All right, I'm sorry, what are we looking at? Oh, it's the internet. Okay, cool. You know what? You're an idiot. Okay, I don't even need glasses. Okay, this is stupid. What are you talking about? I'm God, I don't wear glasses. Okay, here's the thing. You keep wanting me on your page. I'm not doing things your way. You think faster is better. It's not. Look how I created creation all the way around you. There's rhythms, it's slowing down. Why? Because I do things right. I get it, you're totally willing to build your house on the sand. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, you're totally willing. You keep thinking that we can just fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. No, it's so much bigger than you. I'm not playing your games. You guys are like a bunch of little crack rats freaking out. I'm not going to jump into your madness. You asked me about it. Let me do my job. I know what I'm doing. Slow it down. And stop telling me I'm late. I never signed that I was gonna be early. See, here's the thing. We all went out to the curb like at five o'clock. It's six o'clock. God, where are you? God, where are you? Honey, I'm coming at eight. Where in the world did you think I was coming at five? Well, that's what I thought I heard. I am never late. And I don't make mistakes. Listen. If you knew how much I loved you, you would never question my decision-making. No one will love you like me. I never abandon you, I know what's right, and I know how to handle it, okay? I need you to trust me, kiddo, right? All right, would you turn with me to the book of James? James chapter five, verse seven. James chapter five, verse seven. If you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's around page 1012. I'm reading out of the ESV. And we're just going to kind of go through it line by line, kind of tear apart a couple different passages here. We'll close out the book, all right? It begins like this in James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Okay, let's pause here. It is an unarguable tenet of Christianity that Jesus Christ is coming back. You do not get to argue and say, no, I don't think he is. No, no, no. Christianity teaches Jesus is coming back. What we can argue about is how and when, right? Oh, is it before the tribulation, after the tribulation? I don't care. My Jesus is coming back. How do I know that? Because he said, I'm coming back. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that you could be with me. I'm gonna come back and get my kids. I would never permanently go anywhere without my children. There's no way I will always scoop you up and have you be with me. That's how I am. That is a lock, absolutely. And we all agree on that. But here's what's interesting. Boy, he's taken his time, right? The gospel writers, the New Testament authors, they all talked about Jesus coming back like it was happening in their lifetime. They would use phrases like it's at hand, it's imminent, it's soon, right? They're all talking like it was gonna happen at any moment. Here we are 2,000 years later saying the same thing. Every generation, the Lord's coming back in my generation, the Lord's coming back in my lifetime, the Lord's coming back in my lifetime. I am surrounded by people telling me the exact same thing right now. I have no idea when Jesus is coming back. I don't know if it's in our lifetime or not. Everybody's convinced because their lifetime is the most important lifetime right? But he's taking his time and it doesn't say, I can't imagine that James would go, man, I know my brother. I know my brother, Jesus. He's always on time. Man, 2000 years, you guys are still asking this question. This is kind of weird. And when someone doesn't show up when you expect them, you start going, maybe I heard it wrong. Maybe they're not coming at all. And that's when he said, I need you to lock in your hearts, right? This is so fascinating to me. Lock in With faith, you gotta trust that what God says is true. Don't let your mind wander wherever it wants. Don't let your heart grow troubled. Keep on it, keep it aligned with the Lord. See, here's what's interesting. I'm not good at gardening. Actually, I'm not good (laughs) at a lot of things but I have gardened and you scoop out and you put in the seeds, right? And the way that the seeds work is you put in the seeds and then what they need to do is have proper environment and then they split open and they can put down their roots to start to grow, right? Now, if you just planted them and then stared at it, it takes a really long time, right? And here's my point, if that's true for good things, is that not also true for bad things? Satan is going to seed things into your mind. It can't take root unless you let it sit there. You understand what I'm talking about? It can't take root unless you nourish it. It can't take root until you're helping it out. You've gotta keep a short list of it and rinse it. So many many people come to me and they're like, pastor, I'm horrified by my thoughts. Like like all these doubts come in, all these creepy thoughts and the sexual stuff, all this stuff kinda comes into my mind. I always stop them. Hold on a second, are you not human? Of course that's what's happening to you. It happens to all of us. You think it doesn't happen to me even in prayer times? Come on, we are human beings. The problem is not, oh my goodness, I had thoughts of doubt or I had bad thoughts. Those are to be expected It's what are you gonna do with them? If you let them sit there, if you let them germinate, if you let them, and you're even feeding into the lie, right? Oh man, a thought of condemnation condemnation comes into your head. That's because you're human. That doesn't make you bad. But if you let it sit there and you're letting it germinate and you're letting it become a problem, that's on you. The seed can't immediately lock. It needs help. Don't give it any help. Rinse it out. Does that make sense? He said this in verse nine, do not grumble against one another brothers and sisters so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Okay, what does that mean? Well, last time James talked about it, we had a whole message on this, right? Like the idea of the power of the tongue. You guys remember this? We gotta bridle the tongue. Words have the power to raise up and tear down. We had a whole message on that. So he recaps and he's like, okay, I got a couple things I need to talk to you about words. But one of them right here is grumbling against each other. And here's what he means. When we go through trials, we feel yucky inside. When we feel yucky inside, we're pretty mean to each other. You guys understand what I'm talking about? Have you ever been under intense pressure at work and snapped at your spouse? Of course you have. Have you ever been under intense financial pressure and it began to mess with your marriage? Have you ever gone through and had all kinds of problems getting to somewhere late and you took it out on the kids that were sitting in the back seat. Okay, here's his point. When you go through trials and there's intense pressure on you, you want to blame and lash out. But guys, we can't do that. You can't just hurt people. Just because you're under stress doesn't mean you rip each other apart. He's like, I've been training you on this. You don't get to just grumble at everybody, you can't just be mean to everybody. And it's interesting, because in this passage, he uses two different Greek words for patience. One means patience with people, the other one means patience in circumstances. And he's about to highlight out Job. Job actually had both, did he not? If you guys don't know the story of Job, uh, God brings Job up to Satan, he's like, Job is pretty awesome. And Satan's like, well, the only reason he's awesome is because you're super nice to him. And he's like, all right, do what you need to do. Because I'll tell you, his heart's for me. Well, he lets Satan tear this guy apart in a really, really intense way. And one of the things that he does, he causes sores all over his body. He makes him super sick. The dogs are licking. Like, it's just gross, right? That was, there's nothing Job needed to do but endure pain right? That was a circumstance that he was under that was so hard, and he had to endure it. But you also learn in his story that his friends came and made it worse. Do you guys remember this? His friends would come in, and they were like, dude, your life is terrible. And he's like, yeah, it is. They're like, man, you must be a super sinner. That's not helpful, right? Right? And he had to have patience with them because what he could have done is just ripped them to shreds. He could have lost his cool. He could have lost his peace. He could have lost a bunch of things. But he had to be patient under people problems. And in this passage that James is talking about, when he mentions patience, he's largely talking about people. You guys, our social dynamic can either be encouraging or discouraging, but even if it's discouraging, we don't get to just lash out. It's so hard when we're impatient under things. God, you're, you're, not, you're not doing anything. God, you're not doing anything. What's freaking us out is there's no forward advancement. But hold on, why shouldn't we think about it this way? Another thing I'm not great at is being a handyman at home. So after I've YouTubed it and realized my lack, I then hire somebody, right? Right? And when they come into the house, here's by and large what they say. You, move over there. You're in my way. Then they fix something. What's intriguing is now I'm stand there guy, and to be useful, I'm hand them the wrench guy. Right? Hey, is there anything I can get you? Uh, Yeah, can you hand me the wrench that I could reach myself? Thank you. Stand over there. (laughs) Right? And then you're just like, well, I'm not doing anything. The reason you're not doing anything is an expert is on the job. You just get in the way. When we call the number 911 and they say, we've sent them on their way, your job is not to make everything worse. Your job is to be patient and let them get there because the expert's on their way. When you are being patient with God He's an expert that came on the job, how do we know that? You prayed for him to come and take it over. Let him do what he does. Let him do what he's so good at. So here was the warning, he's like, man, when you are really mean to everybody, hey kids, I don't do that to you, right? I've been super patient with you, I've been really sweet to you, but if you're gonna be hold everybody else and judge everybody else, because you don't feel good inside, I'm gonna tighten your leash. I'm coming up right up on you and going, hey, 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 that's not how we act. You're my child, you act like me. We don't do that. He's like, but if you're graceful to other people and you're going, listen, my mind is hard right now. My life is hard. Everything's difficult. I'm sorry, man, I just gotta give you some grace. When you have kindness for other people and understanding for other people, God loosens that leash. He's like, okay, that's how we need to be, right on. Pick it up in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, let's pause. He's talking about the prophet. Do you realize the vast majority of prophets in the Bible did not get to see their prophecies come to pass? They put their reputations on the line. They put their lives on the line. And they didn't even get to see if it turned out. They had to die saying, I hope I got it right. That's so hard to be patient going, Lord, I just said something out loud to the government, and they are wanting to behead me. But I told them what you told me. I sure hope I heard you right. And then they're gone. He's like that idea of being patient under and trusting the Lord and trusting the Lord when you don't have all the answers is so difficult. But that's why we've always looked back and said, those people are so hardcore. I wanna be like that. They're the examples for us. And he said, and here's the thing. You're not just patient to be patient. You're patient because you know who you're being patient for. You know the nature of God. You know that he does great things. You know he works over the long haul. You know he's compassionate and merciful. He's not trying to hurt you. You know although it looks bleak, he can do the impossible. You know if there was a better way for him to get the outcome he had, he would have done it. You know that he understands. You know he'll never abandon us, and so we wait. Two things interesting about that. One of them, you guys remember the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? You guys remember that? He was sorrowful to death. He's sweating so heavy, it's like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He's shattered and he keeps calling out to the Father and there's no answer. After that type of not knowing, standing under intense pressure, feeling like you're gonna die, After Jesus went through that, do you really believe he's gonna turn a blind eye to the pain and sorrow that you're in? Are you kidding me? You think he doesn't get it? He lived it. What, he's gonna now go, oh, it's not a big deal. Of course it's a big deal. He was crying out for someone to be with him. He asked his friends to come in and help comfort him. He knows sorrow. He's not gonna turn you away but you can't always feel him. That's really hard for us. But the other thing that's interesting is the Greek word for the Lord is compassionate and merciful is the Lord has many bowels of compassion for you, right? Which sounds so gross but it's actually encouraging. What it means is he is abundant in his compassion, meaning he doesn't just love you a little bit. He loves you so much it would blow your mind. It means that he keeps having compassion. It doesn't dry up because you had another problem. You know how everyone in your life can only handle your drama for so long. At some point, they want you to move on. God doesn't have that problem. You can keep coming to him with the same thing over and over and over, and he's got more compassion and more compassion and more compassion. Why? Because he's God. Verse 12, but above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Okay, he's still on the words thing, and he's like, hey, before we go, I got one more thing for you. Do not swear. This whole, hey, bro, can I borrow 200 bucks? No. Dude, I swear I'll pay you back. I swear I'll pay you back. No, you never pay me back. I swear, bro, like I swear on my grandmother's grave. What the heck, man? Why are you bringing grandma into this? She didn't do anything, right? But here's what you're doing. You're trying to use the leverage of somebody that does have integrity to try to manipulate the conversation because you don't have any integrity. Does that make sense? And James is like, no, 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 no. We don't do that. You do not get to do that whole I'm gonna invoke the gods and everything. But this is where we get the idea. I swear to God. I swear to God. Man, I swear to God. In our culture, that doesn't mean anything. But in a culture that has a high view of gods and goddesses, You invoke the name you were saying and may that God curse me if I'm lying. So they took that stuff super seriously. But it's still a manipulative tool. If you were truly a person of integrity, you wouldn't have to put that disclaimer on the end. You wouldn't have to try to manipulate people. They would just trust you for who you are. He's like, we are Christians. We are men and women of our word. That's how it goes. Stop manipulating people. Pick it up in verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, meaning heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up or heal him. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay, that's a whole bunch of stuff. What did he say? He's like, all right, so while we're suffering in trials, there's, it's not like there's nothing we can do. There's a bunch of stuff we can do. Okay, if you're suffering, and that word in Greek means of all kinds, if you're struggling, what do we do? We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. I hope that in someday, especially those at Bridgeway, now I wish this for all believers, but especially Bridgeway, I dream of the day that we are mature enough to believe that prayer matters. You're like, no, 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 I believe that prayer matters. Hold up. If your prayer life is not rich right now, no, you don't. Your lifestyle demonstrates your theology. If you thought prayer worked, you'd pray more. So you can always find out if you think prayer works, are you praying or not, right? But think about it this way. What would happen if we had a prayer-rich environment at church? What if we were all pouring out to God and moving in the spirit? Do you understand how many miracles would roll in our environment? Are you kidding me? It would be a whole different ballgame. People would come in that don't even know our church and get healed. I mean, I'm talking about this is just, it would be like this place of power if we were truly praying people. And so once again, we're trying to pray into that, Lord, raise us up as prayer warriors, raise us up, change our mind, increase our faith, right? We're praying about that stuff. So if you're struggling, you pray about it. If you're not struggling, if anyone, not everybody has to have a bad day every day, right? So let's say some people are doing great and they're blessed. That's time for praise. Man, thank you, Lord. You've done it. My life is good right now. I'm not struggling. I'm not having a trial. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. You are so good. That should be our MO. And I'm thinking about this. Like, I was thinking about as I was reading this why would God do a physical healing? Like, why would he do that? Because honestly, it seems a little bit weird. Does it really even matter? You're like, well, it would matter to me. Okay, hold on. Let's talk through it. Any physical healing God does is not enough, right? God, I need healing in my back. Okay, you actually have 13 things going on in your body right now. So I'm gonna fix your back and that's good. No, you're always gonna have more. Whatever it is, you're gonna have more. Why? Because you're a breaking down human being. Here's the other thing. No matter where I heal you, you eventually die. So it's always temporary, is it not? So why am I putting a Band-Aid on something when in fact that your true reason I built you for is to come? So this whole idea of me doing a physical healing is a little bit weird. So you have to ask yourself, why would God do it? And the two primary reasons outside of compassion that God does physical healings for are number one, to create a relationship with you, right? Hey kiddo, I'm right there in your midst. I know this isn't gonna fix everything, but I want you to know I love you, I see you, and I'm with you. Right, It's relational. Second reason that he does a miracle is to receive glory and praise so that other people want to have a relationship with him. Does that make sense? So it's all relationship-based. But here's the problem. How much praise is he really getting for the miracles he's doing in our lives? Because too many of us, we have a private life, right? We have a private prayer, we had a private problem, we ended up praying privately, and then we ended up getting a miracle privately, and then we didn't tell anybody because we're private, and then ultimately God got no glory. Why in the world would he do a miracle for that? Yeah, it helped you out, but it didn't help anybody else out, and he's going to talk to you in heaven anyway, right? So... I'm wondering how many more miracles would we have if we truly shared the testimony of what he was doing? Like, how many more miracles of the Holy Spirit go, oh, we're building kingdom stuff. All right, let's go, man. And he's ready to hit it, right? How many more miracles will we see if there was testimony and people calling out what God did for them and giving the glory to God? But if everyone just assumes it just kind of happened, you were sick, now you're not, whatever. That's not how it rolls. I think there's more to it. When we're doing good, let's praise God. He said, but all right, if you are sick, There's some protocols we gotta go through. There's some ways that I would like you to pray. You're like, hold on, I thought you said that I could pray any way I want. All right, if you're brand new to Christianity, I need you to hear me on something. If you want to pray, and prayer just means talking to God, there is no wrong way to do that, okay, literally. It's just trying to talk to your heavenly father. You can use all the wrong terms. You can have all kinds of messed up ways that you do it. You can even say the wrong things and he'll still think you're cute, right? God, I don't really know you. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. This feels stupid. I'm talking into the air. I'm by myself. I feel really awkward. But if you're there, what's up? Right there, you know, that's where God's like, aw. (laughs) that was really sweet. Okay, so there's no wrong way if we're just talking about praying, but if you want to do something through prayer, if you want to bring kingdom power, if you want to use the forces of heaven and bring breakthrough, if you're trying to accomplish something, there are some protocols that make it more effective or less effective. We just need to understand that. How do we know that? Well, it happens all over the Bible. I'll give you an example. You guys remember the story where Jesus goes away to pray, leaves the disciples to handle the ministry. Some guy brings in his son who's demon-possessed, and he's like, hey, you guys, my son really, really suffers. Uh, Can you guys cast this demon out? And they're like, oh, sweet, we can do that because Jesus gave us the authority over all demons. And so they're like, get out, get out, get out, get out, and nothing's happening. Well, then the guy's like, I thought you guys were Jesus's disciples. They're like, we are. He's like, well, hurry up. Like, fix this out. And they get into a fight. And Jesus comes walking up. And he's like, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. What's going on? And they're like, your disciples are lame. And he looks over at him. He's like, okay, what's the problem? Well, we brought my son to you who's demon-possessed, and they couldn't even cast out the demon. He's like, all right, all right, come on, bring the kid over here. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> That's how it's inappropriate. All right. (laughs) He's like, he, he's like, get out. Boom. Demon's out. And everyone's like, oh, snap. That was awesome. Right. And then. Like, they're like, okay, we finished here, okay, cool. And as they walk away, the disciples were like, okay, that was super embarrassing. Like, what in the world just happened there? Like, we couldn't get this out. You said we had authority over demons. Like, we're, this is making us look stupid. I'm just letting you know. And he's like, yeah, I should have mentioned this. So that kind of demon, that's a sticky demon, Right? Like, I didn't mention this before. There's some demons, like, you're like, oh, get out. And they're like, okay. And then there's, like, other demons. are like, no. And they're, like, really mean. Anyway, so those only come out by prayer and fasting. And they're like, well, that would have been nice to know. He's like, noted. <laughs> right? Okay? and And, and so there are certain protocols, fasting lends in power into prayer and you're praying breakthrough, right? So in here he's like, okay, so if you're dealing with sickness, you're trying to do something through prayer, all right, cool, let's grab the leaders because I can't answer for every believer here, but let's just say the leaders are focused on the Lord and they believe that he can do mighty things. Okay, so let's get some people of faith in here. They're going to pray, they're gonna anoint you and the anointing is just saying, Lord, this one right here, I want you to heal this one. Then when they pray in faith, like it's like the power of heaven comes flying through them and boom, change happens. He's like, that's kind of how it works. Can any believer do that? Absolutely. Why? Well, we'll get to that. It says it right here. Something weird. After God heals him, if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Wait, what? What What's that got to do with it? What do you mean sin's forgiven? Well, you broke your leg, sinner. That's not right. You're just clumsy, right? It has nothing to do with it. Because here's the thing, some people believe that all sin and sickness are tied together. Like every disease is tied to sin, that's not true. The Bible goes out of its way to say that's not true. So why is he talking about sin here? Well, Jesus actually talks about it quite a bit. You guys remember the story where the paralyzed man was lowered down by his friends? They went through the roof. Do you guys remember how that went? The guy was there for one reason, I wanna do the walk thing, right? Lowers him down, Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven. He's like, that's not why I'm here. And he's like, okay, you can walk too, boom. But here's what's interesting. Why did Jesus start with that? Here's the answer in my opinion. We are built in a very complicated and complex fashion and we are integrated like an ecosystem and one part of our life really dramatically affects another part of our life. Have you guys ever heard of psychosomatic illness? Have you ever heard of things where you have, the, the proverb says it this way, if your hope is dried up, it ruins your bones. The idea is how you are dealing with stress, it can shorten your lifespan. Like you, we are literally so integrated, we have all kinds of stuff happening. And so our spiritual lives matter, our physical lives matter, our emotional and mental lives matter. All of that matters. Our social scenarios matter. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, and hey kiddo, you come to me with a need and you're like, oh, my life will be better if this gets fixed, hold on. I don't think you even know what the real problem is here. You think you do. Well, Lord, if you would fix this, I'd be right. No, that's not true. And let me ask you a quick question, what's worse, a broken back or a soul damned to hell? Okay, why the heck are we talking about your back right now? Your relationship with me is the number one issue If we do not resolve that, what does anything else matter? So I got to deal with you and me right now. Once we got that settled, then all of a sudden we can start talking about details, right? And then we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, right? So I need you to worry about this stuff and let's handle this, let's fix this. But I want to heal in layers. Because what ends up happening and all of a sudden I fix your leg, And now all of a sudden you can work and now you're stressed out at work and you have a heart attack. Do you understand what I'm saying? We gotta work on the whole thing. Then he says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. What does that mean? Does that mean that if you have any problem with another person, God's not gonna heal you physically? I don't think that's what it means. I think that what it means is you have social relational dynamics that are wrecking you. And we need to deal with community better. Community matters, prayer matters, match them together. We need to start saying words like, I'm sorry. We need to start saying, I forgive you. We need to start dealing with it because if we're not okay with each other, we're not okay. He said, I'll tell you what, it's not just leaders. Here we go, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth, and he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You guys know this story, First Kings 17, 18? You know this one? God literally gave Elijah a prophet, like the Jews thought he was like the best prophet. He did the coolest miracles. He gave him the power to shut off the rain. He's like, God is awesome. Shuts it off. They're like, oh, famine. He's like, whoa. And then he's like, turn it back on and then the rain starts to fall again. You're like, man, that's intense. Like God gave you that kind of power. He's like, hold up, you guys are so impressed by Elijah like he's a superhuman. You know what? He's not, he's a guy just like you. A righteous man and woman's prayers are powerful like that. Then you're like, ah, shoot, the whole righteous thing. Okay, how righteous do I need to be to have superpowers? Like, I think I'm currently at the gold level. I can probably get to platinum, but I'm not sure I'll get to diamond, so let's not even go there, right? I do have a downline. Okay, now, here's a secret. Your righteousness was never gonna be good enough. That's why we can't rely on yours. But if you're a child of God, what happened? The Bible says over and over and over that Jesus took his perfect life of righteousness and traded it with your broken one. You're righteous right now. How do we know that? Because Jesus made you righteous. That's why your prayers matter, amen? Close it out, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James spent a lot of his book tearing leaders apart because they were out of line and he closes out and goes, guys, if we get this right, you can do some extraordinary things. You will transform lives. You will allow people to be rescued. We gotta get this right. And you know what? All that mess that you created, you know what? God knows how to clean it up. Gotta own up to it, right? We need you out there, but I need you to be good guys. And we can do some serious kingdom work. And he ends with hope. Pretty cool, huh? That's the book of James. So here's how we're gonna close out. We only have about one minute, two minutes. In a moment, I'm gonna have you stand if you're going through a trial. We're gonna pray breakthrough in your life. You're like, yeah, but pastor, no offense, but that's not really new. Like you did this like a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Are you still in the trial? Yeah, then we pray again. That's how it works. Because here's the deal, we tend to have this attitude of, well, I prayed about that. And so what, you're done? Let me explain, it's kind of like a wall. And here's what happens, if you need breakthrough, here's how the wall goes. You lock up with the spirit, bam, hit the wall. It starts to shake. Lock up with the spirit, bam, hit it again, hit it again. Hit it again and you're smashing it through and then eventually the wall caves in. Jesus said, pray without ceasing, don't give up. You miss that parable? Because what he said is there's some things I need you to pray through and that may be something in your life. If you need prayer right now, would you stand up? We're gonna pray breakthrough in your life. If you are not standing, you're an automatic intercessor. All right, let's pray. You will pray for all those around you, and you're like, I don't know how to do that. Here's your prayer. Lord, help them in the name of Jesus, right? That's all you're gonna do. We're gonna keep interceding, and I'm gonna pray for us. Here we go. Heavenly Father, we are standing in a place of faith that we truly know, God, that you are able We know for certain, God, that you can do the impossible, and right now, our faith is high. We believe that you can help us in our relationship problem, with our marriage problem, with our children problem, with our parental problem, with our financial problem, with our disease problem problem, with our anxiety and depression problem, and our mental health problem, that, God, that these things are overwhelming to us, and, Lord, we feel like we're sinking under the waves. We pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would empower us to break through the wall. So in the name of Jesus, we use your authority, God, and we speak to the challenge in front of us, and we say, be moved, be transformed, be shaken. Anything that the enemy has against us, We break it in Jesus' name, and we say, Lord, more of your power just begin to hit through it. God, that some of us, we need physical healing right now. We pray, Lord, would you make our bodies strong? We bless our bodies in the name of Jesus. We come against disease in the name of Jesus. We come against sickness in the name of Jesus, and we pray, Lord, that you would restore our lives, restore our hearts, restore our backs, that we might be victorious in you. God, we We praise you right now for what you are doing and what you're about to do, and we give you all the glory. You may be seated. God, for the rest of us, we are just needing more of you. May we all walk out of here with joy in our hearts, knowing that you love us, that you have more compassion and more compassion and more compassion, and Lord, that you've always been kind and sweet to us. May we see you as a loving, healthy, wonderful Father and that we would love you more. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.